once upon a time it worked though you know like once upon a time you knew you were going to graduate and like work a job in the same company get a pension yeah. like that world does not exist yeah. there but the but while the world is changing at like such a rapid pace especially things like in in technology i think the there's like some kind of index which tells you like which industries are the most fast growing and with technology mm. it like changes within a year the education yeah. system hasn't changed in over 60 years Welcome to the Relational Parenting Podcast. I'm Jennifer Hayes, a parent coach and 20-year childcare veteran. Each week, I sit down with my own father, Rick Hayes, and discuss the complicated issues that parents face today, as well as some of the oldest questions in the book. From the latest research and the framework of my relational parenting method, we offer thought-provoking solutions to your deepest parenting struggles, or in other words, how to parent your kids without losing your mind or traumatizing theirs. Added bonuses include intergenerational wounding discussions and guest childcare experts. We will also start taking your parenting questions in episode five. So be sure to comment with your biggest questions or email me directly at Jenny at JennyB.co. Let's get started. Our guest this week, kicking off our five-part series about education systems, is Sarah O. Ahmed. She is an experienced educator and started her career in education as a preschool manager. In 2013, she co-founded Elm International School in Alexandria, Egypt, focusing on student-centered learning, technology as a tool, and being internationally minded while locally rooted. She has a Master's of Education in International Education Policy from the Harvard Graduate School of Education and is pursuing a PhD in Anthropology and Education from Columbia University. She's preparing to release her book, We Need New Education, on K-12 education systems, where she discusses the history of education and why the system was designed that way, how children actually grow and develop, technology and the world we live in now, and how to shift our education systems to serve the needs of the current social and economic environment. You can find the book and pre-purchase at www.weneedneweducation.com and learn more about Sarah and the work she's doing now at www.sarahoahmed.com. All right. Welcome, Sarah, to the Relational Parenting Podcast. Hi, Hi Sarah. <laughs> Hi. I'm so, glad. I'm so glad to be here. We are so it's happy so to have you. It's so great to be here. I am so glad to be here. Yes. We are starting our education series this week. So Sarah is a, a, a previous educator and is now a consultant for other educators. And uh, she's here to tell us her parenting journey, her story through being an educator, a child educator, um, and the things that she has learned along the way, how that's influenced her parenting, and how that has led her to what she does now. So, Sarah, tell us Hi. about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm so happy to be here. And um, so I, my story started when I was a teenager, really. I've always been interested in uh, children. And, you know, I was always that older kid who took care of the younger kids. Mm-hmm. Kind of mothering the other kids. Yeah, yeah. A little bit, like we'd yeah. go out and meet friends and. There'd be younger children, and I, I just find my way 
to entertaining them or <laughs> sounds familiar yeah <laughs> i would just steal the children of the of the neighborhood or family gathering that we were at yeah yeah and we'd find something to do like uh use crayons on the you know sidewalk or something like that um and so when i started uh college i although i i actually specialized in computer science I don't know what hmm. I was thinking there. I was way more interested in psychology. Pretty high tech. Up, yeah. Yeah. I ended up minoring in psychology. And that became what I studied later for like graduate school. Um, I had, so I met my my husband and we, I married him right after college and had ki- kids right away early in my 20s. Um, and, uh, I was living in Egypt at the time and I had studied all these things in, uh, in college about developmental psychology and how children, uh, grow and concepts like constructivism and education that actually focuses on how children grow but I didn't feel like where I was located, it was, a, it was another town, not the capital Cairo, but uh, Alexandria. And I just didn't hmm. find the sort of education that I really wanted for my kids. Um, and hmm. so it was always something in, my, in the back of my mind. I want to do something that would put all these principles into place that would be really child-centered um, and yeah. I, I met a woman at the time who was running a Montessori nursery and I worked with her for a little bit. And then we partnered and started a school with, um, with my husband. Um, and it became a, a really great child centered school. We use technology as a tool and, our third principle was being internationally minded while being locally mm. rooted. We had mm. a lot of students from all over the region and internationally, so it was a it was a really great community. Um, and uh, after that, I went to graduate school just for a year in the middle and came back and continued to run the school. Uh, and it was a, it was a great experience for me and for the kids. And now I feel like I can see more clearly what is wrong with, with education systems based on what I studied in graduate school, based on Mm. seeing other schools and visiting other schools. So, um, now I'm ready to sort of share that experience with others in the hopes of like making bigger waves in, in education in K-12 education across the world, maybe. <laughs> yeah. It gives you another perspective when you try to run an organization. Yes. Rather than just reading it in books, you know, some hands on being in charge gives you a, uh, what works and what doesn't work. Absolutely. Being right there yeah. with the kids and you see yeah. them. Um, like, yeah. uh, actually, it. Yeah, you observe it. Actually, like even some of the developmental psychology principles about how kids grow, like, for example, um, one guy is very famous, um, John Piaget. He, mm-hmm. he came up with his theories by watching his own children. Um, he, uh, 
he saw that when his children were younger, they could do things that like they saw the world in a way that was different to how his older children would see them. And so he would mm. take notes and eventually that's what he published into the world about how children uh, go through major phases of of perce- perceiving the world. And like mm-hmm. if you Google Piaget and his experiments, you can see them. Like one experiment is where if you bring a young child in two different shaped cups and you and you ask them like which cup has more water they'll almost always yeah you know choose the skinny one the skinny tall one but not the short uh short one because it looks to them that one it has more water even if you like pour one into the other they'll be like it's the tall one they don't really get the volume concept as opposed to the visual uh angular or whatever. I've got one I've got one book I, I picked up long ago because uh, I associated him with the IQ test thing and I didn't really realize he was he was actually an educator and uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was actually yeah, it's psychology but it it ultimately has an effect on education. Education itself though, when you think about how education started like schools, how schools started um, they didn't actually start with like child development in mind. So mm-hmm. when you think of say, um, like the public school system, before, initially you had like the one school, you know, the one room schoolhouse. We see that on TV sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, Little house on like, the prairie. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and like it was, it's it was basically multi asian a multi-age group in one setting where one teacher and um, teaching them like how to read and write. And that, and that was a popular thing all around the world. Like that Egypt had its own version of that kind of education, but um, it would, uh, it it would like teach them through scripture. Like the kids Mm. would go in, they would memorize scripture and then they would, Sure. Go out into the world. So public yeah. education, the way we see, the way we know it, it hasn't been around for that long. It's only been around since the late nineteenth century, okay. and it, um, yeah, it came into being because it was in the industrial age. So yeah. we, we needed had factory, factory workers. I mm-hmm. I understand uh, uh, the American model is kind of modeled after the, the German model, I guess, of we need reading, writing, arithmetic. We need factory workers that can do some calculations and Well, we and need factory workers that can things. sit in a building for 12 hours a day. <laughs> exactly. Or the farmers. 9 to 5 yeah. or the yeah. 8 to 3. Yeah. Yeah, and that's exactly it. So Horace Mann... He's he's got a building named after him and a few of the universities on the East Coast. Um, so he went to Europe and he visited a bunch of uni- like European countries, Germany back then, Prussia, which yes. I guess yes. would be now Eastern Europe. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, and so uh, he saw how they actually modeled their schools after the army, it was a very regimented system. Um, that makes sense. 
Yeah, because they wanted a whole lot of people to learn quickly in a very sort of regimented fashion. Yeah. Um, and that was seen as like the sign of progress. This is what we need to do. And so that was brought back into um, the U.S. model for education. And that's how sort of the public school system started. And that's so how it's I... modeled after. Yeah, so can I it. ask you, in Egypt, when you were, because you were the preschool director at one point of this Montessori school, right? And then you went on to, um, did you start a school separate from that? Or did you collaborate to turn that school into a K, I think you said a K through eight mm-hmm. uh, child-centered institution? Because Montessori tends to be a, a pretty child-focused style of education. Um, And obviously, like, you grew up going to schools and and saw, you know, how the public school system was. Um, What drew you to Montessori in the first place? And then what kind of brought you to the transition, wanting to transition it to child-centered specifically? And kind of what did that look like? What did child-centered look like for you guys? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So Montessori, what really attracted me to Montessori is that it is um, the opposite of regimented and sort Mm -hmm. of prescriptive. And it uh, so just a little history. uh, Maria Montessori was a woman. Mm -hmm. She was an Italian woman who um, was a doctor, actually. And at the time, she was one of the very few female doctors. And so she was kind of sidelined uh, yeah. into taking care of, uh, of t- children. The female doctor, we're just going to put you in charge of children. Put you with the kids. Yeah. Uh, but she did an amazing job with the, with the kids. So she, um, uh, she also had what, is, what was kind of like the one-room schoolhouse. But she also like paid close attention to observing how kids learn and grow. Yeah. And so if you've been into a Montessori classroom, you'll realize there you don't have like the desk layout where yeah. they're all facing the teachers. It's more corners, like you have sections and different corners in the room. Um, or centers. I'm not Montessori certified, but um if you if so I'm not sure of the exact name but you'll have like a a literacy corner you'll have a Mm -hmm. math corner you'll Mm. even have like an um, an everyday life corner where Mm. kids can learn how to sweep the floors or that's actually part of like the class part of the classroom activities I cannot tell you how many two and three and four year olds I have taken care of who wanted to sweep or vacuum like if I were Mm -hmm. was doing it they were they wanted to try they wanted to learn how to do it like yeah Yeah. they want to be like their caretakers want to be grown up Mm -hmm. Harness that while you can Absolutely. for their teenagers. Absolutely. Don't shoot them away. And then right. them to come Hand back them the later. vacuum. <laughs> Hand them the vacuum. Or something a little more to their size. Like you can get the small little uh, A little hand vacuum. They would want the little, yeah. the little the hand attachment a, yeah. vacuum. Yeah. yeah. And I would let them go. They would clean up their own. A two-year-old 
two-year-old would take the hand vacuum from me and or ask for it and would clean up under their high chairs after a meal. Wow. And I would like really... do the dishes while she did that. It was amazing. Knock yourself yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. Working and together. And they feel so accomplished doing mm-hmm. that. Like, yeah. And even if it's not perfect, like even if later you go back and do over, obviously yeah. Yeah, it's a two-year-old. But even like even if that could take up some time, yeah, it takes it's an activity that they clean up is an activity in their mm-hmm. in their in their day, and it becomes um, part of like the food like we eat, we clean up, mm-hmm. or we set the table, mm-hmm. um, and so that's just as important as learning how to read or how to do a math skill. Uh, yeah. And the other great thing about Montessori is that it's very hands-on, even when we're learning about um, how to read or how to uh, how to do numbers. Like, mm. basically, yeah. like, first you start off with just recognizing amounts, simple, small amounts, just one versus two versus three. Um, and then they progress to, like... Uh, counting in tens and then counting in hundreds and then if they're a little bit older counting in thousands Mm -hmm. um and and the great thing is it follows the child so it's not like Mm -hmm. we're in first grade they must know how to do uh uh, how to add single digits by the end of the year it's not like and then all the kids are expected to meet the same exact um learning goal at a very precise time of year because that's how the normal school system works the montessori system lets them it it follows the child if if the child picks up an activity and they're ready to take it the teacher will encourage them to pursue it and and that's the role of the montessori teacher um and now I, i know that jeff bezos jeff bezos incidentally went to a montessori school when he was Hmm young and he 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 started the bezos academy um hmm. he's got a little video online of what where he he was like he was so he has good memories of it apparently so uh even uh, the google founders um larry page sergey brin um they also credit their creativity and hmm. all that to having a montessori education in in their their early childhood hmm. and so bezos now is starting a lot of schools across the country that um that are montessori pre- they're free montessori preschools for um for people who and, and they're free so um, wow they're open to um pe- like to to families without charge nice that's amazing um, yeah i didn't know that at all it's funny that you mention that because I've always thought I work in IT software development, um, and I've always thought of that as a creative process. You know, it's not people think of tech and that sort of thing as being kind of hard and scientific, but there are aspects of it. I, I don't know if it you know, creative problem solving where where you kind of have to imagine a, a solution. You know, you run up against a. It's it's good to have a creative background even in technical fields like that. Yeah, well, to be able to I, come I'm, up with new ideas, you've got to have mm-hmm. the freedom to just think, to sit around and think. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, I think that's one of the things that later in the later school years. It's, it kind of gets beaten out of you because the school mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you get you get punished for mistakes and for trying to do things your own way, mm-hmm. right? You're ex- you're expected to follow instructions and um, you know fulfill those requirements that are outlined. Show by, your work. Yeah, yeah to show. Not your only work. did you get the right answer, but you did it the way we told you to do it. Not, right. You know, not doing yeah. it your own way. Yeah. There's only one right way to do something. Mm-hmm. The, or or numbered a numbered ways to do something mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. that's that's one of the things that i think if education needs to it needs to change from being in that factory model where it made sense like there's only one right way to assemble something on the on the assembly line right, <laughs> right? if you're going to be a good diligent factory worker you're expected to follow the rules mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't live in a world where that's what we want you know, even the future workforce to look like we want them yeah. to be creative. Like, yeah. the, like IT is so, uh, it's such a big problem, but even in all fields, like it, whether in marketing or social media, you want them to be able to think out of the box. Um, and so in many ways, if you're a, you're a really good student, you're actually at a disadvantage, mm-hmm. um, in the workforce. You need yeah. to relearn things in life, like to be able to make mistakes, to be able to think out of the box and not expect someone to give you an A, like to give you a pat on the back. Be like, you're doing it the way you should be doing it. Right. Yeah. Um, well, that's exter- that yeah. external validation. So it's it's problem enough that we are killing creativity, individuality, unique talents and putting everyone in the same box um throughout our schooling education system and then and then you're released into the wild as an 18 year old either to college or to a job or whatever and told like set yourself apart and like be unique and be yourself and be authentic and all of these things and it's like well I just spent 18 years n- suppressing all of that. So I'm going to spend the next 10 undoing it in therapy and trying to figure out who I am. (laughs) It's bad enough that we do that, but the, but the external validation that we raise children with to that, that good job. And here's an A because you did it the way I told you to do it. Um, or you met my expectation or you made me happy or you like this external validation that we, also ingrain into our kids is so what's the word I'm looking for uh it's not healthy but there's it's 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 a it's non-functional like you then become an adult who has no internal compass no internal motivation you seek to do things to please other people and to make other people happy only and you forget about yourself and what makes you happy and like life worth living and what do you want to do and what is your gift to the world? So it's, yeah, right. it's a whole system. And the whole system. <laughs> and once upon a time it worked though, you know, like once upon a time you knew you were going to graduate and like work a job in the same company, get a pension. Yeah. Like that world does not exist. Yeah. There, but the, But while the world is changing at like such a rapid pace, especially things like in in technology i think the there's like some kind of index which tells you like which industries are the most fast growing 
And with technology, mm. it like changes within a year. The education yeah. system hasn't changed in over 60 years. Yeah. Um, and so there are certain things that people need to be um, that schools don't really prepare them for. And one of them is to be a lifelong learner mm-hmm. and to um, and to, to take those challenges without waiting for external validation. Mm-hmm. It's like you got to be a hustler like all the time. And the, and the education system doesn't prepare you for that. Yeah. Like uh, the, I know Montessori is mostly popular as a preschool, but she yeah. did have it go all the way up. It's popular as a preschool because after the age of six, most people go into into the school system, the mandatory school system. Yeah. Uh, right. And there are alternative school systems um, that give choices to students, but they're also not the track that um, necessarily gets you into college or um, like the, the, the trajectory that some families want for their kids. Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the thing that strikes me about this conversation is um, all those things are true, but it's a complicated system, and yeah. it's good as a parent to be aware of how you're preparing your child, even at a young age. <clears throat> you know, do they show tendencies towards creative? Do they show tendencies towards enjoying repetitive work? I just came out of the pharmaceutical industry where it was very rigidly legally mandated how you would do things and documenting things and you know uh, not disturbing the air when you walked around in the manufacturing so stuff doesn't get into the vials of medicine that are going to be injected into people and it's you know parts of that business are very regimented um but there's also a lot of fulfillment in being creative and doing those things. And so there's niches for everybody, Absolutely. you know, you know, Absolutely. Well, but, the people who choose to go into something that regimented and strict, like, like they'll receive on the job training for it. We don't need to yeah. train our children for 12 years for a job they might never have. And light in yep. more and more late nowadays likely will not have. That's true. That's true. You know, even, yeah, you know, so it's just, it's just interesting to see the different niches there are and what you're preparing, you know, where you're leading your child and is that fit your surroundings, you know, is that what you want or not just make an informed decision? Well, it's not necessarily about leading your child anywhere. It's about letting your child Mm -hmm. decide you observe and they they decide where they're going. They will like if you let them, if you expose them to lots of things, they will show you where they're going. They will show you what they have a knack right. for and what they love. And then you right. and then you come in as the parent and or the teacher or what like whatever, you know, whatever role you're playing in that child's life, you come in and you uh bring more resources. Uh, for that child to have more access to those things. And once they're old enough, they can start to tell you what they want to do and where they want to go and what they want to explore. And our job is to, is to, is to get them into places where they can succeed, not Mm -hmm. shove them into boxes where we think they should succeed. Right. Right. I think it's, it, this is, 
this is a very important point because what you just said, because I remember when I started, uh, I started the school, I came across this video uh, and there they made a point that the, so the, the most popular jobs back then, they didn't exist early in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Today, like one of the things that like if you had asked children it, in 2010 what you want to be to grow up, a YouTuber wasn't an option. It only became an option. <laughs> That's right. It only became an option um, a, a few years later. And so, and then Instagram and then social media. There are a lot of words that were, they were non-existent. When I went to school, nobody could predict that this was a way of, uh, of making a living. Right. Uh, and so none of that was something that you could prepare kids for in, in an actual curriculum. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it's more about skills that can be transferred. Transferable yeah. skills, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That you can and and in a lot of these skills are character skills. Yeah. Schools don't always have that in in their hmm. um, in their curriculum, like having resilience mm-hmm. um, or having a growth mindset. Uh, and there's there's a lot of research that shows that the kids who succeed are the kids who have a growth mindset, which is to um, be able to get back up again after after a fall or to challenge yourself um, to learn from mistakes. And that those are skills, those are character skills more so than yeah. like actual learning skills or that that are really important. Teamwork, being able mm-hmm. to work in a team. Uh, organizational skills; um, those are all transferable skills. That, uh, what, regardless of whether you work in a regimented field, which is it's important. I'm sure you know if you're if you're trying to produce a, a medicine, you need that to be exactly right. But if mm-hmm. you're working in a creative ad agency, then it will be a different skill set. But skills like thing like character traits, like growth mindset, like teamwork, those are things you're probably going to need. Everybody can use, yeah, right. And if they invent something other than YouTube in the near future, and that becomes an option for for kids who are in high school today, once they graduate to college, you need them to be able to be fast learners. Yeah, right. When I even see the like the kids, you know, I think a lot of parents will scoff at the idea of their children aspiring to be a YouTuber. But if you if you think about it, like a YouTuber is someone who desires to entertain. And that's what every actor and actress on earth grew up saying is that I want a content creator. Yeah. Or a content creator or whatever, like someone who feels like they have something to offer the world through their voice or through their creativity or through their art or through their acting or through their like whatever it might storytelling, whatever it might be like like a child who says, I want to be a YouTuber like that isn't inherently dumb or anything like they, they might be wildly talented at character acting or impressions or, I mean, you know, there's so many pieces to that as well. That is, that are creative and require those, those character traits that you're talking about, self learners, self starters, like teaching, storytelling, all kinds. There's all kinds of yeah. skills that, uh, and the entrepreneurial mindset to not go get a job 
in a factory or in an office. You know, I, I worked at a, a company called Caterpillar, and it was acres of cubicles under roof. It was just a, in nor- the building I was in. It was literally like a 40-acre field under roof. I forget how many millions of square feet it was. And, uh, you know, that's not for everybody if you, like, if you like the outdoors and the sun. Now, it was very challenging. I enjoyed the heck out of it being a technical guy, you know, and there'd be cubicles with smoke coming out of them because somebody was building something or, you know, they weren't, they weren't just books and pieces of paper. Um, but it was a different kind of environment than I've got a, I've got a buddy that would have gone crazy in there. Um, yeah. He likes, he likes to be outside and, and doing things, you know, doing a little more variety moving around. So yeah, it's these transferable skills, robots coming along, you know, or the, you know, the, the, the thing that, uh, jumps into my mind is coal miners. There was a thing about, oh, coal mining is going away. It's like, yeah, but you can, you know, you got to take your skills and transfer them to fixing the machines, fix the robots, fix, you know, build the robots, design mm-hmm. the robots. There's a, it's a, it's just a shift in the economy and how it works. And it's good to have transferable skills so you can go get a job at the next place too in 20 years. Exactly, exactly. We went from being a world that where you had a lot of craftsmen and farmers to to then the industrial age where like that was a big shift in people's minds as yes. well, like having yeah. to go and find jobs in the city or in a factory or in a professional setting mm-hmm. 150 years ago that pe- people were mostly around the world, mostly craftsmen or artisans or um, working uh, in a farm and Mm -hmm. then it became the factories and now we're entering the knowledge economy where a lot of people Mm -hmm. make a living um, like doing things online engaging in this content production (laughs) coaching it's a a whole different thing yeah coaching consulting um and so there's this this other layer, right? We still need the farmers and the artisans, and we probably mm-hmm. still need people in factories, even with the robots coming in. But then now more and more people are doing things that robots can't do, which is a lot more human-centered, a lot more people-centered, and we're still figuring it out, Um I think I think the one thing that's changed, and this is something parents have to realize, is that they can no longer guarantee that what worked for them will work for their children. Yeah, yes. yeah. The pace of change is picking up. It seems like. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you grew up knowing that the right thing to do is to have a career, like a singular career, it might, that might not be an option to 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 people who are now. They have a day job, but then they also have a business and then they also have a side hustle. And like these are different for them income streams as as they enter the workplace. Mm -hmm. I was talking about this with my mom and I was trying to explain like this is how uh, how like YouTube and Instagram and different platform work. And she for her, that was that was something she did like. Yeah, it was very new. Mm -hmm. You know, she's a doctor. She knows that we go to we go to work at a 
setting. And the pandemic really threw a wrench into the sort of mm. cubicle style setting, yes. right? Huge, huge learning trigger. Yeah, like for jumped. everyone. For we everyone, jumped. everywhere. Ten and years it made ahead. the internet such an integral part of like uh of of our work, of our learning, of our um because all the schools went online too, right? And now suddenly yeah. it became painfully obvious that trying to get children to focus on a little camera <laughs> and right. just the, the screen and you know we need to be to stay on target with the learning goals while the whole world was like going through this un, you know this pandemic um it was a that's struggle a, that's a great example of a the world changing a situation presenting itself well so we can no longer get within six feet of each other now how do we manufacture things how do we educate our children and so you pick you know you pick the best option available that you can you can think of and do the best you can but yeah i think everybody's coming in out of that going yeah let's not do that again that's that's let's figure out a way to get a vaccine faster or yeah. something because that you know a bunch of little kids in front of a bunch of little cameras that's not the that ideal was, educational model. <laughs> yeah. But it also like the newer now schools are either building bigger or building smaller. One of the hmm. things that have come out of the pandemic was this idea of like having a micro school where huh. a group of families got together and mm -hmm. it's like an expansion of the homeschool like the idea of homeschooling where yeah. families mm -hmm. either got together or they hired a teacher for the so it's kind of like circling back to that one yep. room schoolhouse. The one room schoolhouse, yeah. Now we getting have back to a more so. like communal, tribal, like where we rely on each other and we have little cohorts, you know, whether it's you putting your kids in a home school with a different set of parents each week, or you get together and collectively pay for a teacher to come and educate your kids in one place. But yeah, like it's, it's where we've, we are like coming full circle back to this like tribal community, um, helping each other out, working together to, to get things done instead of these massive mass produced public educations. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So Sarah, here's my first tangent. You just made, made me think of something. So how do we, um, now you get into you got to say the world goes to micro schools, you know, all or all or nothing thinking. Um, but if there's a lot of micro schools now, you have trouble with standards. You know, the whole idea of free public schools was everybody kind of comes out as a interchangeable part and goes into the industrial machinery of the world. And you know, when I get somebody out of twelfth grade, I have a pretty good idea what they're going to know. And yes, I can. I can structure my, as an owner of a big business, I can structure my job roles that way. Now with a bunch of micro schools or home, if everybody, you know, what if everybody did it? That's one of my guiding principles. If everybody's in a micro school, how do you get that predictability of, okay, here's a 17-year-old, 18-year-old, 12th grader. What's that do? What's that do to the economy? That's a great question. Yeah. So here's the thing with standards, because I feel... Standards are important, but we have to think of them as a baseline rather than like a high striker. Like a and, minimum? Yeah. 
Yeah, the minimum standard. But right now, they're more of a high striker. Most people who graduate from high school have they they haven't scored a hundred percent of yeah. like yeah. what they were supposed to learn in each yeah. of their subjects. Yeah, they it's very so it's it, it isn't always obvious like if they've actually gotten the skills that they need. And some of the right. things that we were talking about earlier, those. Um, those skills that you really need, teamwork, uh, grit, uh, growth mindset, we don't have standards for those in the mm-hmm. school yeah. system. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways, employers are going to have to make an educated guess about their that, that student's skills, and they're going to have to prove themselves in the workforce anyways. Yeah. So, And then there are a lot of things that we learned in high school that you really have to question if they're going to make it um, to trans as, as skills that transfer into their workplace anyways, mm-hmm. like some of some of the algebra that some of the students mm-hmm. learn in high school. Um, you know, some of the minute details of hi- things they learn in history. We have to ask ourselves if that information in and of itself is what's important for the kids to learn or what they learn through the learning process through the exercise like, yeah. of learning it. Yeah. Like if we're doing a history project, is it really about learning the dates and the places that something that a certain event right. happened in or Memorizing. is it research skills or is it, um, hmm. to have that sort of baseline right across. Yeah. Um, and, the, and, and I think that baselines, um, they should be more like milestones across the education because sometimes especially with the really young kids we're like a child that's in second grade is far behind but if you supplement their education they'll they'll be on track by the time they're in fourth grade mm-hmm. sometimes because there are differences in the way students learn and so standards we need to they're a very delicate subject they're a very important mm. subject but for the most part, like people are responding to standards and those standards go back to the government as an aggregate, like so that mm-hmm. they can have their charts and say, oh, we're yep. we're on track as like a whole nation. Yeah. Yeah. But on the individual level, when we look at a student, you know, they're not here to to fulfill the standard of the aggregate of like for the policymakers at the end of the day, they're right. human and there'll be variances. And so yeah. as parents, we have to be cognizant of that. Um, you know, just because a student didn't, isn't like, is they're not, you know, at age six, they're not like the other six year old in the, in their class doesn't mean that they're behind or that they're ahead. Like, life is more complicated than for us to keep comparing ourselves right like when we when when you think of like after and maybe this is a question for me to you like when you think of after graduating how often do we have standards to compare ourselves to to our you know high school friends once we all have jobs what do we compare ourselves (laughs) at our income our happiness yeah our, I don't know, like what what's the standard? That would make class reunions really interesting. Well, I think right. that's what class reunions oh, were painted standard. as. Like the class reunions in movies were always painted as this like pissing contest <laughs> of 
who has the All best the emotional, job? Are you are you a doctor yeah. or a lawyer or are you do you just work an office job or did you invent something or you know do, how are you married? Do you have kids? Like, did high school sweethearts Comparison. get married? You know, and it is, it's all about coming back together and it, and it was all painted. I personally have never gone to any of my reunions. Um, but you know, it's always painted in the movies as this like competition, like checking in to see who ended up being successful and who didn't. It's, it's that external validation you mentioned. Yeah. Well, and the more, the older that I get, the more I realize, and I see it, you know, because of Facebook and Instagram, I'm still connected to a lot of people I went to high school with. Uh, and I, I've noticed that we've all, as far as I can tell, have grown out of that mindset and everyone is cheering each other on. And when someone has a victory, everyone is excited. And when someone is going through something terrible, we're all like, I'm so sorry. I'm sending prayers to your family, you know, and no one, no one is like, at least not outwardly being like, Oh, turns out Susie was who was a bitch to me in high school is now, you know, her grandma died. Ha ha, Susie. And it's like, what? No, like none of us, like we've all graduated out of that, like competing. And if, I mean, I, I think competition between human beings is natural to a level, but I also have to wonder if like we're set up as kids and like middle schoolers and teenagers who are different, like differences are not celebrated by anyone around us. So we become like, we look at the girls in the magazines or in the movies and the guys, you know, make comments about our bodies. And so we start judging ourselves based on those fake requirements and our grades are, you know, become requirements of like being a good human, a worthy human. And it just creates drama and comparison. And yeah, I don't know. Being, being different is uh, potentially complicated. Right. Like we have to be different. If we were all the same, the world would collapse. Humanity would collapse. And and success in school is not necessarily a predictor of success in life, whatever that means. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, the people who had the highest grades are not necessarily people who say will be happily married with kids or have the highest earning job or like it's, it's valedictorian. not a it's, yeah. I was valedictorian. I don't even know how many jobs I've had since college, high school, college. And I've spent I've spent my entire adult life trying to figure out who the hell I am and what I want to do. Right. And I, I found was, it, I was, by the I way, <laughs> finally an entrepreneur doing the thing that like I should have always been doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I was one of the, yeah, I had the highest grades in my, in my graduating class as well. And I have friends who went on and they became really successful and they, they, they yeah. had average grades and they yeah. get together and and like you said, life, it's not like, it's, life is not linear. It's not like the standards. Mm-hmm. It's not like mm-hmm. it's very easy to fix. Mm-hmm. Almost everyone is going to go through a hard time. Everyone is yeah. going to have a moment of like loss in their lives. And it's that community that, I would, that we actually need yes. in that moment to help yes. each other out, to lift each other when one of us is down. We know that we're not, life is not a competition. Like it's, yeah. We're all we're all trying to do the best we can in our own way, and there's no prescription. There's no, no. 
way of knowing from an ex- having that external validation that we're doing it the right way. Yeah. yeah. Um, unlike, unlike, you know, life in school or, or the standards that we have in school. And well, so, so commu- sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. You're going to say something. I just wanted to say um, like, like highlight that we need each other and, and like part of, what you're trying to do being a consultant for educators and what I'm trying to do to coach parents in relationship skills with your kid is, is teach each other those interpersonal skills, those developmental skills of what you need to have and be able to teach your kids to have of like character skills, our relationship skills. Can you be empathetic? Can you understand another human being? Can you care for another human being's feelings, even though you may not agree with them? Like, can you, can you stop looking at yourself as separate and can you see yourself as part of a whole, whether that's your community or your school with your classmates or the team of teachers working at your school with your principal and your administrators, like you are a part of a whole, like you yourself are a whole human being, but you are then a piece of a community. And how are we in healthy relationship to one another in collaborative Mm -hmm. relationship to one another? Mm -hmm. Learn to be in service to an other big O or a whole big W you know, so how to how to subordinate your own particular desires and be part of the team, teamwork, and and learning that uh, starts um, when you're a kid in your family, and it starts in the school systems that you're in eight hours a day too. Yeah, like those are the two yeah, most significant places. We, yeah, I think if if we've learned anything from the pandemic, it's it's our need for community because a yes. lot of things. The pandemic really showed us, okay, so what are the things that we can just learn on a course online mm-hmm. versus, no, we need to be face-to-face for this. We need, I need yeah. hands-on, yeah, yeah in-classroom, a mentor showing me a couple of tricks or keeping me on track or, yeah. Yeah, or kinds just of being there. Like my kids really hated being online while yeah. other kids really thrived being online. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's yeah, good. The, some did. That's good to hear. Yeah. No, some kids did. The, if you've been, if, if, if you've, if you have a classroom bully, for example, mm-hmm. if, mm-hmm. And, and, or the, the, the big school environment was too overwhelming mm-hmm. and you were generally a kid who likes to learn and read on their own, the, the, the sort of online homeschooling option is a good option for this, hmm. for this child. Hmm. You know, a virtual school might work well for them. I know a few kids who decided that virtual school was more for them. My kids, on the other hand, no, we want to see people. We want to, you know, there's a social aspect to schooling. That's not not just about the curriculum. It's it's also the community building. The you learn teamwork by being on the in a in a football uh, team or in a you know in a sports team or. Even the lunch hour, like yeah. even lunchtime, if, like being nice to kids in the lunch mm-hmm. in the lunchroom, that is a skill that doesn't get doesn't make it to your report card, but it might actually be an experience that's formative for 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 the children. Absolutely, so, yeah. learning who to approach and who not to, and 
Yeah. Why, maybe. And so everything that happens at school is important, even in the hallways, in the locker area, in the in the lunchroom. Um, we need to think about how the whole environment impacts students. Yeah. And, yeah. The, and and we need to make sure that those goes into into the policy, into the so the policymakers, they're not just collecting data on who gets A's and who meets yeah. the standards that they put for schools, but also you know, go into schools and see what happened in the lunchroom. See mm-hmm. what happened in the in the in the hallways. Yeah. Um, and take that if you really want data to go back and inform policy across like uh, across the schools. That's what you should be doing: sending people yeah. and observing and taking notes, and and then that's how we change the education system. That's a very um, interesting problem. Big systems are good at organization or regimentation, and a lot of the skills we're talking about, you know, one child learning in a different way than another child, that's that's all just accentuating the need for some conscious parenting, right? To watch your kid yeah. in the system and maybe guide them between two systems, you know, um, making sure the kids are getting what they need to be successful and taking care of yourself to make sure you know what's good for the kids, I guess, this day and age. But, yeah, it's a a segmented thing. I don't think any one leg of that system is going to have all the is going to have all the answers. It's it's a combination. And and I feel sorry for parents in some ways. Yeah, it's complicated. Yeah. It's hard, and sometimes you don't know what's what's the right thing to do because even uh, like right now, also you have fifteen percent of kids in schools qualify for special education, and mm. that's that's like a broad mm. term for kids who will need um, like an individualized education plan because they're not mainstream, whatever that means. Also, like they're not right. normative, and they're not uh, they're not following the sort of progression that we know, like the linear yearly progression yeah. that schools yeah. expect from kids. And 15% is a big number. It's not, mm-hmm. it's, it's two kids, almost two kids out of 10. Yeah. Um, that will need to be different than, 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 than the average. Um, yeah. And different comes in many ways and forms. Some kids have disabilities Um and they're identifiable and some kids have learning difficulties and those are more difficult to identify. Some kids are on the autism spectrum and it takes a while to really find out like what works for each individual child. Um, And for parents, I feel like it's difficult because parent, you know, you're not given a handbook when you, when you, when you give birth to a child, (laughs) you have to figure it out as you go along. And as the world changes, you know, it throws surprises at you. It does. Um, But I think also as a parent, you have to be your child's advocate. That's the most important thing. Like you have to be there and defend your child against the world. And they have to know that you're in their corner um, and doing your best for them, and that they're all they're they're gonna be they're gonna be difficulties. Like I always, oh yeah, think back to my kids and be like, I really hope they remember things in their childhood differently to how I remember them. It wasn't mm. always easy. Yeah. Um. 
Yeah. When they grow up, I look forward to those conversations of like, I wish you did this differently, mom. <laughs> All right. I'm going to do it differently with my kids. Exactly. I'm never going to do that what my from mom my, did. From my yeah. teenager. I'm like, okay. Yeah. You will do it differently, actually, because you're going to live in a different world. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I can only tell you what's right based on what I know, based on what how I grew up. Yeah. But it's a different world. LA. I didn't have a smartphone growing up. Right. Um, the internet became a thing when I was a teenager. So now, and they grew chat. up with a television. <laughs> yeah. Like my 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 son could could work a a, a touchscreen game when he was like 18 months old. Mm-hmm. It's a very yeah. different world. Yeah, that's right? amazing to watch. Yeah. It's amazing to watch them do that. Um and so it's very important, like, and if, if we're going to be talking about schools and education, we need to really think out of the box to be able to, to, to keep up with all these changes that are happening in the world and then pandemics that we never thought we had to prepare ourselves for. Mm-hmm. Um, right. right? You got to yeah. be light on your feet. That's one of the things between, like, conservative and liberal and, and whatnot. There are... Uh, people who are more and less comfortable with change, you know, and as so as the change in the world heats up, gets, that's the, where the real value of transferable skills come from is they, they transfer from generation to generation, situation to situation, as well as job to job. Right. You know, uh, teamwork is, comes in handy pretty much everywhere and in every Mm -hmm. time, um, yeah, that's a good thing. I got a I got a message I uh, from my oldest with a picture attached of my granddaughter, and she had this perfectly round purple. <laughs> I know how she got thing that. <laughs> on her upper lip, <laughs> and I remembered having one like that. And it was like, is this thrush? Is this some kind of disease? Is this some? <sighs> and I go, well. I think she's been sucking on a vacuum cleaner hose mm-hmm. <laughs> or, you know, watching TV with her face pressed up or something like that. It's, you know, it's some kind of bruise. Or drinking out, line. this is how my son got it. He, okay. he was drinking out of like a milk bottle and sucking like the and air. Sucking on the milk bottle. There you go. And then it suctions yeah. to your face. Yeah. See, you got to yeah. kind of be imaginative. But the first time you run into that as a parent, it's like, oh, my God, what kind of strange disease is that, you know? But thank God he had a community, you know. His wife's brother is an actual physician and, and you know, and, and it's starting to fade. I checked back in this morning. It's getting better, you know. I think it, I think she feels like she wasn't doing something she was supposed to do and didn't want to get in trouble or whatever for creating this, the furor that it did. Yeah. You know, but it's just, man, you got to, you know, parenting is, and, and, you know, being with kids is all about being light on your feet and adaptable. And, you know, it's bad enough when your one kid is doing something that, you know, being responsible for 30 of somebody else's kids. Oh my gosh. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Being a teacher is very, very uh, difficult. And that's another thing that we're facing right now. A lot of teachers are walking out. Mm-hmm. Because the profession Not is good. just, it's its underpaid significantly with yeah. the inflation rates that we're going through. Yeah. And they're not respected enough. Yeah. And at the yeah. same time, like the tension is between parents and teachers. And 
that's not where the tension should be. It should be because teachers want the best for, for their kids and parents want the best for their kids. Yeah. But what we really should be doing is thinking about is the system working for us? Yeah. yeah. Okay. What my, my, my earlier comment when I was thinking about the taxes, it's because the taxes pay for the public school system. We all pay yep. taxes. They get yep. pooled into like the federal system yep. or property taxes and they get, they're the, they're the taxes that pay for the schools. Local so and federal. Yep. Are they working for our, for our children? We need them yeah. to, we want these schools to prepare um, our kids for the future. Um, and that's, we have to make our tax dollars pay for like work for us. I mean, we have yep. to make our tax dollars work for us. And to um, do that, we have to know it's good for parents to like educate themselves. I mean, to think about what it is they want um, yeah. in, in, in developing software. One of the challenges is get is eliciting requirements, getting a customer, a parent of a child, of a child in the educational system to define what it is they want exactly well enough that we can deliver it as opposed to making our right. own guesses. Oh, I thought you wanted more creative skills. No, no, no. I just want algebra or, okay, well, we so, gotta figure this out, you know? So Sarah, what is your, you know, you have, I don't want to fail to mention here that you have a book that you are publishing very soon. Um, and we will link the, uh, website to get pre-orders in, in the show notes. Um, but you are, you're writing a book right now and we've talked a little bit about the history of education and the system where it comes from. We've talked a little bit about how children grow. Uh, we've talked about the technology and the world and society that we're living in now in the structure. Um, how, how to fix or, at least improve the there, system no as it stands question. now. How do we fix this, Sarah? Well, so, sh and don't, you know, don't give away the farm here, but um, you... Mm -hmm. I wish I had a farm to give away. Touched, <laughs> <laughs> we t well, you have a book. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> you, and, and you are an entrepreneur who is, who is helping schools recreate curriculum and recreate this, their system as it stands and transitioning it into something that is more child-centered. And so what are some of the like key aspects of what you, what advice you would give to school systems uh, for creating a more child-centered environment? My generic advice, and this goes back to Rick's point about like knowing what it is that we're designing this thing for and yeah. involving people in the process. Um, it's, it's just that you need to know what you're designing for and who you're designing for um, rather than have it this, you have, you know, rather than have this top down system where someone sitting in an office somewhere decided these are the standards. Now we're just going to make everyone follow them and we should be, that's what we should focus all our efforts at is to also have that bottom up. Take a look at what students are capable of doing right now. Um, we can collect data from on the ground and feed that to the people on the top about what actually matters, not just in the classroom, but in the school in general, uh, in, in, the, uh, in the informal time that people don't pay attention to, ask the students 
the students about their experience in the school. Um, that's one thing. The second thing is that we do need to align it more with what we know about like developmental psychology. And people have yeah. been saying this for decades. I'm not the first person to say this. For so long. <laughs> it's yeah, people have been saying like this is not how students learn. And yet yeah. <laughs> we yeah. them sit down yeah. and do it anyways, because someone at the top wants them to do the test and Give you know so they can have the reports ready. They have to measure it to justify the expenditure of tax funds. Exactly. Right. There's like a. They, there's a. Yeah. It's hmm. in. It's it's in reverse. It's like the students are working for, for the yeah. for the system. The Department of the Education. Yeah. For the, for the students, like I always say, if kids like when you go shoe shopping. You don't, it's not, you're not expected, um, you know, you look for your size of shoe rather than mm-hmm. you expect the shoe to fit, you know, your right. fit to fit the shoe. Right? If you're yeah. 10 like, years I, old, you must wear a size 13 shoe. Yeah. You must wear a size certain shoe. If you don't That's fit right. a size That's 13 right. shoe, something is wrong with you. I like <laughs> that. That's a good analogy. I like that. You know, or you're ahead and then now we have to make you skip a grade because you don't fit the shoe. Last so year you were a 12. Fit. This yeah. year you're a 13, by golly, whether you like it or not. Yeah. And that's not how kids grow. They grow differently. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just like how, mm. you know, different trees lose their leaves or grow them back in the spring at different rates. We don't expect even, you know, nature to follow a, a, a predetermined schedule. We can't expect our kids to follow this very prescriptive um agenda so what we need is a little more space right we need um milestones i like to think of them as that so that students who are below a certain age we know that we're focusing on say um general skills those emotional skills how how they Mm -hmm. they work together as a team or empathy those are very important early on like really Mm -hmm. young kids more so than them learning how to write or read they will learn yeah. how to write or read eventually i promise you if Those they're not reading at, at age six they will eventually they will. learn how to read yeah i was just reading this really interesting article um about uh, uh, a cambridge university professor yeah. he's on the autism spectrum right and when he was younger he couldn't speak until he was about age 11 oh and and then he he learned how to read and write when he was eighteen. Oh, I saw that. The, you saw the, that? He just became a uh, Cambridge professor. He just did. Yeah, not too long ago. Yeah, between not too eighteen. Long ago. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I did see that. Yeah, in in diversity and inclusion, um, and that's that's an excellent example of someone who did not follow the timeline at all. Like he yeah. was. Yeah. In in the in in, a, in the normal case, he would have been ostracized. He would have been placed in like a special education system. Was and he not? If it weren't for his parents and mm. other people advocating for him and believing in him, yeah, he he would not have caught up. And he's caught up, like he's a professor. Okay, yeah. expectations low. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What percentage of the planet is a is a college pro- professor? You know, that's, yeah, that's right? pretty successful in the education system. And so having generic milestones, having those standards be a way to guide what students can do 
but not have the state like having that having this child find a shoe that's suitable to them having a standard Mm -hmm. that's suitable to them rather than have the standard you know the child fit the standard yeah (laughs) like the child fit the shoe we need multiple standards yeah or something the standards need to be flexed somehow yeah, you need to have an like just like when we go into a shoe shoe store and you have a range, right? And then yeah. you figure out what where in that range f- is suitable for that individual. Where are you, you can, at? You can have that range available to students, and then have them work through the that range as they grow. So it's. Uh, so it's not that prescriptive. So you still yeah. have the standards. They st- they can still describe what the student can do, but it's not, oh, they must achieve this by this, by April of boom, their boom, fourth boom. grade, or yeah. else right. we're just going to kick them out or put them on another trajectory. Yeah. Right. Or hold um, them back or place them in a special classroom or, or place yeah. them in a special classroom. We need an environment that allows all students to, to support each other. And there are systems like the Waldorf system. Those, that's another mm-hmm. sort of special education system where it's multi-age. Mm-hmm. And Montessori is also like that, where the slightly older kids are teaching the younger kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you have the kids, they're all in one grade, the same age. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have some of the older kids that are more mature helping the younger kids, and that's how you develop empathy. Which is right. developing a skill, Community. you know, a transferable skill. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. 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 That we don't do enough of measuring anyways. We don't measure yeah. empathy enough. There have been studies about how important it is, yeah. right? But they're not... So many. Part of the so standard. many. Right? Uh, they're, not, they're not part of the reporting system for school districts competing on like how well they are so maybe it maybe changing the reporting system a little bit don't in england do i hear i don't know if it's from harry potter or someplace you know it's like you've earned a first in this and a a double first in in another subject you know there's some broad categories and even like in montessori you're describing well here's a here's a uh I forget now what you're like. Here's a math corner. Here's a yeah. language skills centers. corner. Right. The there's some basic centers ca- of the room. categories yeah. of learning, you know. Yeah. And so, okay. Yeah. I, I, here I am. I'm 18 years old and I have to move out of my parents' house. And I'm a first in this and a fourth in that and a second in this. And that still gives employers and government tax collectors spend justifying spending their money that still gives people who need the metrics metrics to say what you can do what you know okay you you've got this far in that course exactly. and and employers can have a general idea of what you you might be good for in the, as far as their business goes so okay so there's it's, it's a solvable problem we just have to get it implemented yeah and the other thing that i would inc- i always hmm. encourage like high school students to do it's never too early to, to have like a portfolio. So mm-hmm. the things that you're unique at, even outside of schools, um, you can include that to showcase what you can do. So if you, I don't know, you do woodworking on the weekends, you can showcase that that's one of your skills. And that's, that's yeah. something employers will look at as well. It's part of your, 
you know, your your original CV. Part of your um, part, yeah, part of your portfolio. You know, you yeah. walk up and say, "Here's here's stuff." Yeah. Hmm. And kids are they're they can use an it can be as simple as like an internet website where they put their photos and you know have have their uh, you know showcase what they do on on a website. Um, and that goes alongside their grades in the standards. But grades, they're not, they, they're not the most important thing anymore. Mm-hmm. It, even in, if you're going to apply to college, if you're going to work, uh, they look at different things other than your grades. They want to know students as individuals and what they, what they can do beyond um, the, the, the standards. And that's how standards are just going to be increasingly a baseline rather than that you know the yeah. high striker like in the carnival well, something most, that we all strive mm-hmm. to to get the most top workplaces at. whether mm-hmm. you're coming out of high school or college they they're they're like okay did you graduate high school do you or how do you have a GED and okay did you graduate college they don't ever look at your grade point average and i remember coming out of college right. and and my friends graduating and everyone like going into the workforce and just laughing at how big of a deal grades had been to us for 16 years and mm-hmm. how literally nobody gave a fuck <laughs> about what your no, grades were. They don't. Do you have your degree? Yeah. Cool. The rest of my questions are about your personality, your characteristics. Are you a team player? Can you take direction? Are you going to contribute? Are you a self-starter? Or do I have to watch over your shoulder to make sure you're getting your work done? Like, you know, it's no interview. Have I, and I've sat in many of them. There has never been a question towards getting employment that was, what were your grades? <laughs> So, so some jobs still do that. I know Caterpillar, when they recruited engineers, they were looking for like three, eight and above. Okay. Or, Deep you know, sciences. Yeah. That's true. Medical, Deep sciences, medical school, mathematics. Grades matter. But yeah. you're right. I've never been asked what my GPA was to be a computer Nobody programmer at, yeah. or manager or anything like that. It's all soft skills. Yeah. But you kind of know what you're getting. Like if you want to work in this very specialized field, obviously you have to meet like the requirements for that yeah. specialized yeah. specialized you gotta field. Hit, hit the bar. Yeah. Not you don't want everybody to be your doctor. Yeah. Well like, and to be a psychologist. You, have that experience, like, yeah. you don't want me as your doctor. I don't study. Detail oriented. Yeah. But to be a psychologist, like no one's asking what your GPA is. They're seeing how you interact with people. They're seeing how you yeah. guide people. They're seeing what kind, like, do people feel like they can trust you? Do you, you know, they're not. Soft transferable you know, skills. You need to understand how to run a, how to run a study um, and measure statistics. But yeah. And the other thing that I'm still trying to get my head around is that uh, increasingly people are working jobs without bosses like they can enter these jobs without really going for that interview if you work as say, remote hybrid yeah stuff, like you if mean? you're working yeah. as an uber driver or if you're working as um like as a service provider um mm-hmm. on on an app well, now yeah. you have apps as your employer you, yeah. you sign up you online do work, tutors and then you receive a commission yeah. Yeah. And so increasingly, people aren't really looking at 
uh, they're not there's there's no entry point where they're screening you except for for really basic things like do you have a driver's license or do you background um, check (laughs) yeah like a background check yeah and then you have to do the work yourself to to directly earn the money per hour like as an hourly rate yeah Uh, and that's become a lot of people are doing that as their main job and they're they're interesting they're, they're doing multiple uh, multiple hourly jobs and that's how they bring in their income or they're trying to gain passive income in um, in one way or another like setting up a course or writing a book or um, something that's um, that's really entrepreneurial and yeah. schools don't teach entrepreneur entrepreneurship not generally you know, yeah. generally speaking uh, it be, it's like an option for high school students, but throughout the process, you're doing the exact opposite yeah. of entrepreneurship. Yeah. Well, uh, it wasn't an option was a, when I was in high school. There was a program when I was in school. It was JC's or junior achievement or something like that, where you'd get together with a bunch of people and you'd come up with a project and you'd make something or, you know, and sell it. And, you know, I don't know who, I don't know who supported it, the uh, Small Business Administration or something. I do remember that such a program existed. I haven't heard about one like that for a while that teaches entrepreneurship what it takes to, to work for yourself or work or run a business. Yeah. I think some high schools offer it as like an honors class mm. for, for students or as an extracurricular activity. Yeah. Um, but it's not part of the core learning that happens in, in, in schools and increasingly people are, they're working a hustle. Like they're, they're, Mm -hmm. that's, that's their, that's the way they make their income. And, uh, they learn that on their own after. That's right. That's right. Or hopefully from their parents. Real quick, Sarah, we, Tell me, you, you so you went to undergrad for uh, computer science and psychology, and then you went to grad school where? So after I started the school, I took yeah. a year off to do my uh, master's degree in education at yeah. Harvard, at the Harvard Graduate yep. School of Very Education. Very cool. Yeah, in uh, international education policy. Um, and now I am a PhD student in anthropology and education. Yeah. Um, anthropology and education. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, so international. I, which is why I like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's why I like to pay attention to stories. Uh, and uh, I know data is important, like the numbers and things like that. But for me, data is measuring things right asking questions about how how people learn is like doing the right things we have to be right. doing the right things before we measure them right you can get yes. into problems with metrics yeah you, you can yeah. have good metrics and still not be getting the job done yeah yeah and so for that. me this is why i'm paying attention to like what's what's going on what are people saying what are the stories behind uh behind the scenes uh, and in the meantime, I'm I'm writing my book on uh, education, and hopefully it'll be available in uh, in the summer this summer. Um, cool. It's it's something I just hope that it will get people to think about 
the education system, I really think it's important that parents are uh, are aware of of the system. They're not just sending kids to school because they have to, but that they're they know what's going on and that they can be better advocates for their children. Yeah, um, and that's what I hope to do with the with the book. I don't solve all the world's problems. I wish I'd get. I, I'm sure that would be worth something. <laughs> but um, I, I'm hoping that we can start a conversation about yeah. what needs to happen next because it's overdue. We yeah. need, yeah. we need really, really, we need to change the system. Um, it's overdue and it's going, the change that is happening is going too slowly. Yes. And it's failing Not our children. Keeping up. Yeah. It's failing our children. It's failing our teachers. There's an exodus of teachers mm-hmm. right now happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of teachers are leaving the profession because it's it's and going to work for a community of homeschooled kids. <laughs> Possibly, if they're still getting in privately paid, <laughs> change be, careers. Yeah. You know, they'll be use that transferable skill set in yeah. like education technology or in a setting that's different from. They could work four or five hours a day with home or less with homeschool kids with a group of eight or 10 kids in a community whose parents are pooling their money to pay them and they could make a hundred dollars an hour and yeah and work a third of the time if not less and And so much bureaucracy because what people don't see is that like a lot of the teacher's time and that's what disappoints a lot of teachers is that a lot of their time is going to bureaucracy, not to yeah. teaching the children. Non-value added activity in yes. Six Sigma terms. Yeah, you're not really adding value to the process sometimes. It's just, yeah, responding to management or to paperwork or things meetings. that are, are meetings yeah. that could have been an email. <laughs> or days. Yeah. What is it? They're called in-service days where they have to go in for the whole day and do stuff. Because you're yeah. required to have some training or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always good to continue learning, but some, but it has to actually be of service to the students' learning, like not just another administrative task. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love all, all right. that. I was Sarah. I was I was on a school board for a few years, small town school board, and uh, you know what you're saying about conflict or or between parents and teachers and the system and changing it from within you know and and grassroots ground up um you know that's for our parents that sounds like hey you know one more thing to do when your kid doesn't have a big purple lip is <laughs> get involved in the education and and Absolutely. push and shove you know get in an elbow a little bit and yeah don't and feel bad about teachers. doing that yeah Support the teachers, but yeah. have the board and the principal and the people accountable to you. You're allowed to ask questions and to know what's going on yeah. and to advocate for your for your child. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I can't wait to read your book. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Sarah, thank you so much for sharing all of this awesome information. There's so many thank pieces you. here that parents can walk away with and, and use right now. So thank you. And, um, everybody make sure to check out the show notes for the link to pre-order Sarah's book this summer. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. I really enjoyed this. 
Me but, too. Um, Time went fast. Yeah. It always Thanks. does. I'm always like, oh, crap. <laughs> We're <out of> time. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Bye, Thanks everybody. A lot. Bye. My goodness, there is so much to know and pay attention to in this fast-paced world. My biggest takeaway from this conversation was how can we get our education systems to catch up? The system has traded life skills like relationship skills, teamwork, and internal motivation for mass-produced hard skills that for many 18-year-olds become irrelevant once they enter adulthood. How do we shift the paradigm to meet the needs of unique individuals with different gifts and goals? If you are a parent or are preparing to navigate the school systems, make sure you check out Sarah's new book and pre-order. Having a clear understanding of how the system works and what research is showing works better will be invaluable to you for navigating and advocating for your child's education. If someone came to mind while you were listening to this episode or you are wishing you had a friend to digest it with, I would be so honored if you shared this link from this episode with them. I myself have always benefited from community and sharing, and I truly believe that it takes a village to raise a child. Our society has become so independent from one another, and parenting these days is often a lonely journey. But it doesn't have to be that way. That's why I'm here. If you have been seeking a more intentional approach to parenting, but you aren't sure where to start, I would love to hear from you. You can find me and all of my offerings at www.jennyb.co and come follow me on all major social media platforms. It fills my heart to hear your stories, where you come from, and your big goals for raising the next generation. And don't forget, comment your parenting question on our YouTube channel, The Relational Parenting Podcast to get it answered on one of our future episodes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss out. I am so grateful that you are here. And always remember, you are never alone. I'll see you next week.